Hello and welcome to a new episode of Other Record Labels. I'm your host, Scott Orr, where we talk about the art and culture of running an independent record label. And today on the show, I interview my friend Emmett from a record label called Bud Tapes, but more on them in just a couple of seconds. I want to give a huge shout out to our sponsor for this week's episode, Hyped It. Now, the link to them is in the description below. A huge thank you to them for making this podcast free and making our newsletter, our weekly newsletter free as well. Uh, we couldn't do this without the the companies that support our artists and our record labels and of course the show hyped it is this like multifaceted platform that offers artists and labels a bunch of really great promo tools like pre-saves email captures and smart links plus i've been experimenting with this cool ai guided facebook ad Spotify campaign tool that they have that basically does all the Facebook ad manager stuff in the background and gets your music or your playlist, in my case, into the ears of relevant fans based off of like other artists that Sim that your fans would like, similar artists. And so it's very cool. I'm testing it out right now. And I've been getting with like a, a preset budget and I've been getting some pretty good results. So please show them your love and go check them out because I think they're really going to help your record label no matter the size. And if you're just an independent artist, a very valuable tool as well. Hyped It is spelled H-Y-P-E-D, like hyped, and then D-I-T. So two Ds, Hyped It. The link is in the description of this episode. Thanks to them for sponsoring and make sure you go and check them out. Of course, additional resources, not just them, but additional resources are always found at our website, otherrecordlabels.com, constantly adding more tools, um, more articles that you'll find helpful episodes at otherrecordlabels.com. Today we chat with Bud Tapes and we just get into all sorts of fun talk about being a record label and uh, working with artists and doing record labels part-time and shipping and packaging and all that fun stuff. I mean, listen, we get into the weeds here. That's what's so great about these interviews is that if you run a record label, you experience probably most of what we're talking about. And so it's such a great chance to chat with a label and to you know, commiserate or to learn new things uh, that we may never have thought of, other strategies and opportunities, et cetera. So I hope you enjoy this episode with Bud Tapes. If, you know, while we're chatting, you can go to budtapes.bandcamp.com. Bud Tape is just B-U-D tapes. They have a real cool vibe going on and I've, I've downloaded a bunch of their records uh, since I did this interview and been listening to them. So make sure you go and check them out. Um, listen, before we roll, I want it, I've never done this before, so I apologize, but I'm mm -hmm. waiting on a shipment of records and oh, yeah. they need to be signed for. So I have a security camera. I'm watching the front door because, totally. and the crazy thing is if I don't sign for them, then they get, I have to wait three days and they're taken to this, like somewhere in the depths of the city that like for me to go retrieve, it is a nightmare. So anyway, I know, I, I know exactly okay. how that goes. I, I have the same thing with cassettes where it's like, okay. yeah, if I'm not home to sign for my cassettes, sometimes they get sent to the USPS or the UPS place, like right down the street from my yeah. house. Yeah. Uh, but sometimes they'll just send them to like a random auto yes. parts shop, oh, you know, like, yes. it's yeah. just like, what the hell? Like, I don't want to drive like 40 minutes to go pick up my cassette tapes. Yes. And they're in like where, wherever I have to go is always like bad parking and like Ugh. super sketchy. And the hours are always <laughs> like, they're open for like 30 minutes once a month. It's yeah. like, yeah. Okay. Totally. Thanks for understanding. Totally. 
Yeah. Uh, so if I like drop the mic and run, I'll be back. Don't I, worry. I know. I know what okay. you're doing. Totally. <laughs> okay. Sounds good. Now, another thing I'll say um, is I don't normally talk about musicians uh, or music on this podcast, ironically. And I think we've all, our listeners have gotten used to that because your that's your job. Like the artist, the label's job right. is to talk about the music. I want to give label owners like yourself a, a, a day in the spotlight. Having said that, um, this Life of Johnny record, um, I was just mm. kind of listening through a bunch of things today. And like, you know, just sometimes like something just like fits right in that narrow little keyhole in your mind, totally. like musically. And uh, totally. anyway, I'm really excited to like deep dive into that. I played it like once through, but love that record. Cool. Yeah, totally. Yeah, Johnny's Johnny's a a serious head, and uh, yeah, he has he has a way of really like enveloping you in his world for yeah. sure. Yeah. Oh, and and you know, not just lyrically, but production wise too. Yeah, totally. I've heard that because I guess that I, that record came to me. I guess pretty late in the making. Okay. Johnny's like a like a friend now, but was like a friend of a friend for a while. So he sent me just the most recent incarnation of the record, but I guess he'd been working on it for like a long time. Wow. And it'd gone through like many different versions before it ended up as this kind of like maximalist, like really highly produced thing. Sure. Like for a while it was kind of like a lo-fi folk thing. Then it was kind of like a punk-ish record. Okay, and then I it can kind hear of that. Slowly slowly transitioned into this more just kind of like yeah. lush yeah lush uh, yeah thing that yeah. we ended up with that's that's really cool to hear yeah. um <clears throat> quick question is there some sort of pacific northwest label collective or in portland like i had heard about something like this back in 2018 when i started the show there was a couple labels like uh kill rock stars were in it i think and party damage I, i'm just right. curious if you know anything about that or or maybe if you just have other label friends that you get together with right because it's a very label heavy part of the country totally yeah i think um I, it was kind of from before my time, but uh, I was on, I don't want to rep this label too much because they did kind of fall out with all of their artists <laughs> okay, and it wasn't that's great. Fair. But they, but there was a record label that my friends and I were, we had a couple <clears throat> bands that were on it. I mean, they were kind of a part of some collective of a couple different record labels. I think like Fluff and Gravy and Mama Bird yes. and yep. some of those. And they would kind of have like <clears throat> meetings together and sometimes like tabling events together yep. and the like. Um, uh, but yeah, so and they would do like shows. Like there's one show that this band Maureen that I was in played where we played like a very disparate bill where it was like we played, we were like the indie rock band. And then there was like, oh, okay. A, okay. like a, a secret drum band, which was kind of like a cult, like a, a super group of drummers in yeah, Portland. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. But yeah, there are like a huge, there's a, a major prolifera proliferation of record labels in Portland for sure. Right. And everyone's kind of got <clears> their own little niche, it seems. Well, so you don't really do that anymore. You don't get together. It's not like a bi-monthly meeting or anything. Yeah. Yeah. I'm kind of, I'm kind of outside of the of the general yeah. like like record label scene here. A lot of them, yeah, are kind of older than I am. I'm in my late twenties, okay. and I only really started this record label when I was in college. Okay. Um, yeah. No, I know what you mean, and and that that actually ends up happening. The funny thing is, is that I love the idea of a label collective, and I would encourage anyone to do it. The problem is, is right. that like when it's productive. And it's when 
I mean, it's hard, right? But like when you have people who are all like-minded, then it works. But then if somebody comes in who isn't necessarily like-minded or a different demographic right. or a different age yeah, totally. or a different objective or even different genres where it's like, oh, hold on a second. We, that doesn't apply to our world, you know what I mean? Or what we want to do <laughs> doesn't apply to your world. And right. uh, I, I've noticed that in our own Facebook community of, of um, record labels, it's like there's like a batch of people who all get along. And then there's some people who are kind of like outside of the, the, the click because of whatever. Anyway, so I love the idea of a label collective, but I can understand how it could be just diff difficult to maintain long term without splintering right. off, you know? Everyone's everyone's got their different ways of doing things, and like, you know, I I'm a big fan of this local label called uh, Beacon Sound. I okay, don't know if you know no. them. They're like a local like experimental label. They yeah. do mostly like vinyl releases. Started out as a guy's like um, uh, record shop, okay. uh, and then he started using that as kind of like a front for and and a, a pool for putting out records nice. and stuff. Um, and he's like intensely anti-capitalist in a very like in-your-face kind of way, which right. I, I kind of am more like I don't really like, you know, spout my anti-capitalist nonsense all the time. But he's like really in your face about it. So yeah. I can see like if he ended up in the same room as a bunch of other record labels or whatever, yeah, people fair. would be like, whoa, dude. OK, we are all like selling goods here, my yeah. man. Yeah, <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I think it totally falls apart that way. I think. Yeah, it's totally true because everybody is on that spectrum. Some people are, mm -hmm. yeah. And I think that happens whenever, like, especially people who want to just kind of stay hobbyists, but then you get right. a hit record and all of a sudden, like, people want to license it from you and now you're making right. money and, you know, it's it's difficult. It's so yeah, difficult. It's like an, yeah, totally. And yeah, of course, that's something that I've definitely experienced before. Yeah. You know, definitely. <laughs> Put out a hit record that sold more than 200 cassettes or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So tell me the history of your label. Yeah, totally. Um, uh, so yeah, it started out in, uh, it, it, it was 2017. I was in college. Um, I was coming up in like DIY or what was, it was kind of nascent DIY where you know, people were starting to sign with kind of larger labels, yeah, yeah. put out records. And so I had a couple friends in town who were kind of looking into doing that. And uh, um, and I had this record that I was making that was kind of a new project for me. I was like writing songs on guitar, which was kind of first thing, which ended up being my old band, which is no longer around, called World Record Winner. And I had this record of like four track recordings and stuff that my friends all really liked. And they were mm -hmm. like, yeah, you should send this around to a bunch of places. Yeah, and I was yeah. like, sure. So I did the whole schlepping process <laughs> of like, you know, like sending around a bunch of places and was kind of like ghosted or just like rejected from yeah. pretty much all of them. Um, but there was one uh, record label uh, that I can't believe I'm forgetting the name of it now. It was run by the Slash Tires guy and like a bunch of the people from Lake um, who are a local like Pacific mm. Northwest band. Okay. Um, and they hit me back just being like, this is a fake thing. We just like have a record label for <laughs> us to put out like our friends releases and stuff. Yeah. Um, you should just do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh yeah, like sure. That, yep. sounds, that yep. sounds awesome. Like, yeah, I should just like, all you need is like a name... I already had a tape duplicator at the time because I'd made a couple tapes for like 
my old like synth pop project yeah, yeah. when I was like a freshman in college. Um, so I was just like, yeah, I'll just do that. And I had this little pin that I had written Bud on for no reason. I don't really know why. Yeah. Um, and I just thought that was kind of a cool name for it. So I did that, made like 25 tapes or something. I think I bought cassettes from someone on Craigslist. Like someone had like 100 cassettes <laughs> like from NAC that they hadn't used. And failed, were them another on failed tape label. Right, exactly, yeah. in Portland, classic. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I bought those and just made like 25 tapes. Uh, I, I pretty much had to give them all away. I don't think anyone really wanted to like buy them. <laughs> I think I maybe sold... There's one head who still follows me on Bud who was like the only person that ever bought the tape on Bandcamp, and they lived in like Iowa or something. Okay. Um, that was, I think, the only tape I sold yeah, on yeah. the internet. The rest of them I just had to give away to friends or whatever. Um Let's pause this story for one second, if yeah. I can. Um, the, the origin story is exactly the same as mine. And in that, like, you know, cool. if you, the history of my label would go back over 20 years if you counted when I just, like, doodled a logo name on the back of my CDs right. or, or whatever. Um, but it's, you know, the official length is not that long. But uh, so many people have done that. I, I think it was interesting, though. What was your thought process? Because... I did it because I just wanted to appear cool. And you're right. Like no, <laughs> nobody was answering my, responding to my manila envelopes. <laughs> so what, like, what did you think when that, when they said that to you? Were you like, whoa, whoa, no, no, no. I want to, I want a real record deal. I don't want a cosplay right. record deal. Yeah. No, for me, it was this really exciting peek behind the curtain. Yeah. Um, in a, in a sense of like, like running a record label is always something I was really like interested in doing. Mm -hmm. You know, I had, I had grown up in Seattle DIY, like before I was in bands and shit, but it was okay. like when I was in high school and stuff. And there were a lot of Northwest labels just putting out cassettes and stuff like lost sound tapes. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's one called like, I think Gorgonzola or Giganzilla. It was like okay. GGZL. Okay. Um, they put out a lot of just like garage stuff. Um, and yeah, I like loved that kind of stuff, but I thought that you had to like do something crazy or like some, yeah. be some sort of big name to have a label. So like the idea that I could just start a record label, the permission was a really exciting thing for me. And it was, it was definitely, yeah, not about, you know, wanting to, you know, have some sort of big aspirations or anything. It was more like this idea that I could like foster a community or something or, yes. you know, like be able to help out friends in my uh, immediate scene who like, you know, I love their band and I feel like literally nobody listens to their band. Yeah. So like to be like, be able to have like a cheerleader Amazing. role yeah, in that that's sense. Um, one of the best was, roles was of the really label. Cool. Well, right. And, and so going back to this fake label thing, this label that you submitted your album to, they fooled you. So like whatever right. it is, it yeah. worked that, that you thought they were legitimate enough that you wanted to humble yourself, submit the music, and hopefully be signed to their label. So right there, it was proof of concept. Right. Okay. So unpause. Totally. Go, go yeah. back. And, I, and continue. Right. Okay. So where 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 was I? So yeah, I, I made a couple tapes. Had to give most of them away. <clears throat> I had like two more like really low key releases that I did over the course of the next. That was like 2017, like end of 2017. And over the next two years or so, or three years, I put out like two releases to very little. Yep. Uh, I think one release was one that I made. <clears throat> it was another world record winner album. And and I was like, it's going to be tape only. 
and I'll just make the tapes that people buy them. And nobody did. Oh. So I didn't make them. And then later on, once Bud, fast forward, Bud kind of takes off and people are buying tapes. Somewhat, people were trying to buy them. And I was like, oh my God, I never even made these. So smart. <laughs> so, so smart. That is so funny. But, but yeah, anyway, so like, you know, fast forward, it's right before like beginning of 2020. We didn't really know like COVID was coming and stuff. Um, but kind of randomly in like February or January, I was talking to my friend Addy, who had a new band called Flip Chuck. And they were like, kind of wondering what to do with this new EP that they just recorded. And they just didn't even know I had a label, but I was like, oh, hey, yeah, I have this thing where I can make a couple of cassettes for you guys and just give you a couple for free. And then I sell the rest, pay myself yeah. back. And they were like, that sounds sick. Let's do that in yeah. April. Uh, you know, we'll plan a release show and all this yeah. stuff. And and then, of course, none of that happened. Right. But we still put out the tape. Um, and because everyone was, like, trapped at home, yeah. I was running these live stream events kind of around that on the Instagram for Bud. And that just kind of made it take off. And we sold out, like, two runs of the tape. Wow. Uh, and then from there, it was, like... It just kind of like snowballed into like me putting out. I was unemployed at the time. I'd worked at a children's museum before COVID. Um, so I was just like, I have all this time. If yeah. anyone has a record that they've been sitting on forever, like I just kind of like any of my friends was like, if you have a record you've been sitting on forever and you want to put out, like I will just put it out like pretty much sight unseen. I just like amazing love all you guys and would yeah. love to help out. And then that kind of just like exploded. And I put out, I think like, 20 or so releases in that year wow um like way too much yeah <laughs> that's incredible and were you doing yeah. all prints on demand or were you doing like a small batch stuff oh, when did you yeah. did you have you ever switched to like full orders from nac or duplication or right yeah i did recently have done that but for the longest time especially in the early days of the label um in my like anti-capitalist kind of eco-punk yeah. ideology at the time I was buying only recycled cassettes. I was doing okay. like, you know, going on eBay and finding, there's a weird, there's a whole essay in it, but the, the uh, uh, crux between church cassette culture and DIY cassette culture is very linked in a bizarre way. But yes. so I was finding these old stock church cassettes that people were selling for like nothing that still had old like church labels on them and stuff. Were they blank or did you they know, have like a sermon on were, it? They were they were blank. Like they hadn't even gotten around to duplicating them yet. Yes. Um, but and probably were voice quality too, so they were terrible um, sounding. That's true. But yeah. I was getting them for like five cents or ten wow. cents a tape or something, and then <laughs> just kind of duplicating them myself at home. They were all like 90 minute tapes too. So I'd usually do like a full size record on each side so people could listen. Emmett, I, um, I, a couple of years ago, I was walking by this place, th this building where they filmed, they used in the nineties, they used to film like a TV evangelist. And I think whoa. they used to sell the episodes on cassette, like to their mail order fans. Right. And there was a, in the garbage dump, there was like, sky high white cassettes i don't know the length probably like 60 <laughs> or 90 right and i was like so taken aback and i didn't know if they were blank or not but the the outside was like pure white i i still have hundreds of them kicking around and right i just like grabbed a handful <laughs> and i felt like i i felt weird and like but i grabbed a handful i regret not grabbing them all because there may have been two or three hundred right. there and i maybe i maybe right. grabbed 25 
Um, But I know exactly what you're talking about. And they were (laughs) blank. They were kind of crap quality, but they were clean and beautiful. And right. So here we are. Look at that. Yeah, totally. Because I think there was some sort of weird boom kind of like because they were kind of after the cassette like tapers yes, era. it was yes. like you know always like the kind of older christian yeah. audience is always like very much after whatever is in vogue <laughs> so like so they're true. like oh like in 1998 yes. they're like oh cassettes, cassettes are the thing yeah. now like we should buy thousands of them and we'll sell them to all of our oh, audience and well, whatever and it, we'll tape every sermon and sell each one you know what um, I, I think it was also too it was like they were for shut-ins who couldn't make it to church anymore like elderly right. people. So they would have had like a exactly. little boom box that, right. and they wouldn't have upgraded to a CD player. So they, totally. <laughs> yeah, that's so interesting. <laughs> There's a great article for Pitchfork yeah, on that. Exactly. Like the, yes. Yeah. Please write that. The church yeah, tape crossover. I'll, I'll figure that kind of thing out. There must be some sort of connection if they, there. If only um, they knew what was being put on those tapes afterwards. Right. Yeah, exactly. If only they'd they be pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry, I keep interrupting this story here. Continue. Oh, no, it's cool. Um, I think that was kind of the end of it. So, yeah, you know, it just kind of snowballed from there. I put out a lot of stuff. Uh, and so did you, know, you yeah, we, we talked I, about after the church tapes, did you go to, to like full scale duplication? Right. Yeah. In the last year or so, um, I've been working like, you know, full time or almost full time retail since like, you know, I think I went back to work near the end of 2020 or the beginning yeah. of 2021. Yeah. And after that, I was keeping up my release schedule and okay. still trying to like duplicate at home. Yes. And I was starting to buy, I was actually starting to buy just like blank cassettes from uh, Duplication Canada. Yep. Yep. Um, and doing that and still duplicating at home. And then I had various duplicators, like, you know, stereo ones. And I was doing like double cassette decks. Wow. Yeah. And, like, yeah, yeah. and, and then I started having problems with those and like, just ripping out my hair over these like failing machines. Yeah. Cause yeah. they're, they're in this age now where it's like, like all of the parts in them, like all the components are failing. Cause yeah. they're around like 20 or 30 years old. And the rubber's um, melting and disintegrating. Right. And, yeah. yeah, exactly. I was changing belts and stuff yeah. and, and that wasn't doing the yeah. trick. It was like, you know, t- certain electrical components were failing. So I was, and like, it would be like one cassette would duplicate normal. The next one wouldn't. So yeah. then I was checking every tape and like just losing my mind. Anyway, my partner was like at, at some point, and I think my parents too, like I would complain so much about this. They were like, you just need to make like professionals do this yeah. for you. Well, and um, the like, price you know, isn't that different. Like when right, it comes to pulling exactly. your hair out. I know, right? When I lo- when yeah. I looked at what it would cost, I was like, dear God, I can't believe yeah. I've been doing this. I know. Just for like 50 cents a tape or whatever. Yeah, I know. Uh, yeah, that's... So, well, good for you. Now, yeah. would, did you notice like... It's funny because I like getting them professionally duplicated. I find it to be affordable and easy and fast. Right. But as a music fan, as a tape fan, I kind of appreciate the handmade stuff more. Totally. Than just getting, especially if if you're like me, I skimp on the duplication process. So I save money on single J card, nothing on the other side. I skimp on that side. Whereas like my friends um, from Painted Blonde, when they do like a tape, they do lots of little notes inside and little yeah. paintings and everything is like super custom. So like, did you like, did you notice kind of like fans being, I don't know, like how, what were fans reception to like going from these handmade ones that come with your hair and blood in them to like right. <laughs> manufactured? I think, 
the thing that I realized and that was kind of crazy to me was like nobody really like at the end of the day, I was just I was still just printing out J cards at home and cutting them myself. Yeah. And and, you know, it like I think fans were honestly more stoked because I had less people hitting me up being like, hey, my tape gets warbly near the end of side B. Yeah. Yeah. It was like things people had cassettes that actually sounded really good. And yeah, I still do. Um, what I try to still do to make sure that I keep my like hands on it and it does feel like a handmade object still is I've always um, hand stamped each tape from the beginning. Okay. And I've transitioned from, you know, me- pre-cut letter stamps to now I hand carve a stamp for each tape. Wow. So, um, That's awesome. So it, it still does have like a slight like, you know, each release will be slightly different. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and like, you know, each tape even is like one of them will be better stamped than another or one will have two stamps on it or you know whatever. sure so yeah they're all they're all a little bit different even within a single run so that at least to myself makes me feel at least like I, i'm still kind of like doing a handmade object even though it, it goes through a warehouse production yeah <laughs> no i get it that's good so the name Bud Tapes it implies that like you're a label releasing your friends' tapes. Is that still primarily true, or are you getting outside submissions? Are you allowing yourself to sign and release a band that you've never met in real life? You just like the music, right? Um, uh, uh, it's it's a mix of both. Yeah. Okay. So I usually am just putting out my friends' releases. Yeah. Um, but every now and then I'll have like a friend of a friend or just a random people online yeah. send me a release that I just can't really say no to, you know? Yeah, sure. That's um, fair. One, one example being my friend, my now friend who I actually haven't met in real life, but will soon. Yes. Uh, my friend, Greg Freeman. Uh, I just put out his album. Okay. okay. Uh, he's a Vermont singer songwriter guy uh, doing kind of like a heavy alt country thing. Okay. Um, and his new record has been blowing up and is really, really cool. That's kind of the closest thing to like a pretty well, um, uh, like, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It, it was re- received very well. Right. Um, and we sure. sold a lot of cassettes of it. Um, but, uh, I can't remember what I was getting at. Oh yeah. I didn't know him before that. I just okay. heard my friend Garrett who lives out there. He lives in Maine had seen Greg a couple times. He was like, you got to check out this guy, Greg Freeman. His shit is so cool. He had like one single out at the time. Um, and then somehow randomly Greg just sent me his whole record and was like, do you want to put this out? And I was like, holy shit. Yes. My yeah. friend Garrett has told me you're yeah. awesome. Yes, oh, I, I love when love that happens. Yeah. I love when that yeah. happens. So like with those kinds of synchronicities, like that will always be something that I'll, I'm down to put out. Um, I very rarely will just put out something that's completely random out of the blue. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, that's so fair. Yeah. What does a release have to do to tip over into something you want to release or you have to release? Like aside from, you know, the follow-up records from artists that are right. already on your roster, what are the characteristics of a release that makes it a bud tape? Do you do you know that? Right. Yeah. I think I'm very like non-genre specific. Mm-hmm. Um I like to just put out kind of whatever, but my main like goal and something that I try to stick to as much as possible is I try to release records from people who are doing it in a really authentic sense. Sure. Um, like people who would be making this record regardless of if anyone if is anyone listening. Heard. Yes. Not, I know the know? type. 
Yeah. yeah. Where it's like, these are people who literally like have to make music. Like there's like, it's just something that's in them. Yeah, They're yeah. going to be making records regardless. Um, and it's really just about like the love of the game, you know? Yes. Um, Cause that's what I'm doing, you know, at the end of the day too. Like, sure. I'm not doing bud tapes to get like rich and famous. Obviously I would be doing something completely different if yeah. I was wanting to, to be like that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, I really want people to be kind of on the same wavelength with me of like, you know, we're not in this for like, you know, getting rich and famous. We're just here to kind of build community among like, like-minded people. Um, and, and, you know, have a bunch of people kind of, uh, experience the same really cool music that we're making. That's totally great. I completely agree. It's interesting. You talked about not necessarily seeing yourself with a certain genre. I've asked this question a million times to labels on this show over the years. Pretty much everyone likes to think of themselves as like agnostic when it comes to like any one (laughs) genre, whether or not like we all believe it to be true when you listen to their music. Um, But yeah, I'm curious, like, okay, so if you think there isn't a sound, like if you are talking to a normal person, a non-music person at a party, and they find out you run a label, they're going to say, what kind of music? What do you say? (laughs) Yeah, I usually will just say like indie rock or whatever. Yeah, Um, I know. I am kind of. I say, get away from me. (laughs) <laughs> Go get me another drink. <laughs> I, yeah, exactly. I'm the one standing in the corner that like nobody yeah, knows that I right, run a yeah. DIY to set label. Everybody knows uh, you run a DIY. To set that's why they're not uh, talking. Right. Ex- yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. No. No. Um, but but this but, happens a lot. What would what would you say? Yeah, I think I usually just say like I'm an indie rock record label, yeah. um, and that I put stuff out on cassette. Yeah. Um, but more recently, and this hasn't even really come out yet, but maybe it will by the time this podcast has come out, but I'm starting kind of like an imprint of Bud that is leaning more. I'm trying to kind of not necessarily head more into genre, but kind of get into the weeds of like really genreless music in terms of like experimental Very cool. music. So I'm starting an imprint that's called Cosmic Bud, um, ah. and it's going to be a series of CD releases Wow. Um, all like, you know, experimental stuff. And I've, I'm going to do them in batches to try and, you know, save my time and and stuff. And people can pick up like three CDs at a time or whatever. Well, Um, one of the things I love about that idea and what I actually love about labels, not in the record label sense, but as in genres or names of terms is because I feel like it simplifies our brain. And so when we hear, you know, like um, experimental freak jazz yeah it's like i know what that is i want more of it or i know what that is keep me away from that you know what i mean and so like for people for people like you and it's like it's like lo-fi organic tape stuff it's like i know what that sounds like i i want to go check it out i want to hear that so the idea that you are actually saying this is a we're going to focus on a genre and even even one step further than that, we're going to create a separate imprint. What was the thought process instead of saying this just comes on under bud tapes? Cause I, I personally think it's a smart move to do an imprint and anybody listening to the three of you, right. like it, it, you, I think every label should do multiple imprints in different genres. Right. I think it's super cool. So yeah. what was that thought process of like, this is the fork in the road. Do we do, do this under bud tapes yeah. or cosmic bud? I guess, like, the idea behind it is, like, I have 
um, just like my personal music making has changed a lot. Mm -hmm. And I like changed project names in my own like personal yeah. music making. I kind of have like a free improvisation group now. Mm -hmm. um, and and with that change of mind, I was kind of finding even though I'm so like genreless in bud tapes, I have find myself kind of pigeonholed into that party conversation genre right, right. that if, if we're going back to what we said earlier, yeah, yeah. Uh, then I'm just kind of like putting out indie rock records on cassette at the end of the day. And don't get me wrong, like I love indie rock records when they're good. Yeah, um, yeah. But I don't necessarily want to just get a million indie rock records in my um, email submissions all the time. That's you know? right, yeah. Um, and, I, and I was kind of finding myself personally listening to not a lot of that other than what I was putting out. Sure. Um, and listening to a lot more just like kind of out there stuff in my free time. So it felt kind of like a separate thing. Obviously, you know, Bud is just me. Um, yeah. So, you know, it was just something where I kind of wanted to... Also, I'm a big proponent of the CD revival. So, uh, you know, it, I'm really trying yeah. to push that because that's kind of what I yeah. what I listen to mostly these days. Obviously, I have a million cassettes um, in my apartment that I yeah. listen to a lot. And I pick up cassettes a lot, too. But um, in my everyday listening, I'm pretty much listening to mostly CDs. That's cool. So I'm kind of wanting to push that idea. My friend Skylar, who's my bandmate too, used to run a CD-only label um, called Orange Discs. Okay. Um, and I was just kind of inspired by that and wanting to kind of push this kind of alternate physical media that I feel like is really cool and, and doesn't get a lot of love too. So it was kind of the combination of those things like genre and then like the actual media itself too. Um, yeah, like I, felt like a totally separate thing. I did a video about it on YouTube. Uh, if CDs are coming back, and it, and it's like people still comment on it every day, and it, it seems <laughs> most people are in favor of the revival. Very right. much like totally. cassettes, it has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with like technology and who's going to provide us with the tools to play these things. But right, um, totally. I, I'm with you there. I, I love CDs. It is funny too that now even people have cars that don't even have CD players yes. in them. Like my parents have a car from like 2018 or something and it doesn't have a CD player, which yes. is so crazy. Crazy, eh? Yeah. Uh, it feels like just this bizarre, we're in some sort of bizarre like yeah. sci-fi universe. Where I know. No, <laughs> I know. Everything's in the ether or whatever. I don't know. Totally. Um, you had to, when we were talking about genres and we were talking about like what qualifies a bud release, you said authenticity. And so is that authenticity like, where do you look for authenticity? Is it in the in the music? Is it in the 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 lyrics when you meet them on right. Zoom or or in the in the album cover in the production? Right, it's kind of everything. Yeah, yeah. I kind of try and look for it everywhere. Um, you know, it, it's really hard to nail down, and sometimes I get it wrong. You know, sure. I'm not. Uh, you know, sometimes yeah. people come off really authentic, and they aren't. I'm not yeah. saying that. Yeah. that I've found that. You know particularly with any specific artist, but you know, just meeting people, sometimes you meet them right off the bat and you're like, oh, this person's real authentic into what they do. And then you kind of dig deep into them. And you're like, oh, like they are really just maybe wanting to use me as like a stepping stone to something else yeah, or whatever. Yeah, you know? yeah. So, so it is a hard thing. I'm, I'm no expert in figuring that out, but I think usually it does just come from people being kind of just down to do whatever, yeah. really like wanting, like actually, maybe knowing anything that I've put out 
Also, maybe not just following me on Instagram and sending me an email the exact same day. Oh, yeah. I know when that's That's coming. (laughs) I know when it's coming. I see a notification. I'm like, here it comes. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So, like, that is, you know, something that's tacky and you shouldn't do. At the end of the day, you know, usually it's someone who has been, like, you know, bought a tape from me before, uh, talked to me at a show before, um, and, you know, hasn't plugged their own band or I've had to ask them about like, do you have a band or anything? Like, you yeah, cool. You probably have a band. Yeah. Um, so usually at the end of the day, it's that kind of interaction that is, that gets me interested in it. Like they're like really kind of interested in what I'm doing and I'm interested in what they're doing sure. and then, then yeah. it'll kind of work out from there. I, I've never been to Portland uh, or the Northwest, uh, beyond just the edge of British Columbia. Where, um, where are you, where are you located? I'm in Scott? Toronto. Oh, cool. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. My friend, uh, I'm actually putting out a tape in like two days from my friend, Jeremy, who's from Toronto. Okay, cool. I'll look yeah. out for it. That's cool. Yeah, he, he's a, he's a local animator, um, has worked at like Leica and some oh, other cool. places. And he worked on that recent Pinocchio movie. Nice. Um, nice. But, uh, but yeah, he is just kind of like a lo-fi, uh, like acoustic folk indie rock record that I'm putting out. Okay. In just a couple well, that's days, an so. interesting, cause it kind of connects to what I want to ask you is that I, I, I'm curious, like, you know, we have similar, I mean, what I understand, what I've seen in photos of the Pacific Northwest is it has like a climate and a, um, a, terrain that is pretty unique to the rest of North America. And what, what I'm, what I'm curious about from a music standpoint, is that something, is that like a filter in any way that you put your releases through? I mean, even if like, I could be projecting in that, like all of the tracks that I played today sound nice under a canopy of trees, in a in a, <laughs> in a, a damp forest, but totally. Um, but at the same time, on your if you go to your band camp, there are lots of pictures of trees. So like, is yeah. <laughs> that, so maybe I'm not projecting, but is that something, um, the sound of Pacific Northwest, even though you're signing artists from Toronto, that you want right. the releases to sound like where you're from in any way? Is that right. stupid? No, 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 not at all. And I think totally, yeah, there is like, and especially that was kind of a personal my music thing. But yeah, it does really stick out to me when someone's like music really does sound like uh, like, you know, like you're uh, under a canopy or something. Yes. I'm having to pull up my own discography to look at. But I know That's that I have fine. some releases that really make me think of that. Like um, my friend Spencer's release uh, uh, from his project Generifis that I just put out. OK, he's like a real Pacific Northwest old head. He's been around for a long time, probably like um, been been around for like twenty years. I want to say something like like that. Yeah. I was buying his records when I was in high school. Wow. Um, before I knew him, uh, but he's just a real old head, and his music really just does sound like like you know the Pacific Northwest. He has this one song on the new record that's called "I Didn't Even Look at the Mountain Today," uh, which is really kind of about that wow. feeling of living in the Northwest. You get caught up in your day-to-day life. What but a beautiful every now and title. Then you realize you're just like really in this beautiful, um, beautiful place and, and you're so thankful to be there. What um, a beautiful title. That I, I that's gonna like stick with me just because it's a good metaphor, eh? Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, really cool. But yeah, so it definitely does play into it a little bit. And then on the counter of that too, kind of more going into what I'm gonna be putting out in the future, um, 
Portland has a really long history of noise music here. Okay. Um, coming from kind of the opposite of that. And the, uh, you know, the destruction of the beautiful parts of the Northwest Interesting. via like urbanization and yeah. industrialization. Yeah. Um, and Portland is like a really beautiful town, but there are parts of it that are fucking depressing, you know? I, I've and heard. it will really like every now and then you go and look out at these like, you know, power plants that are right in the middle of the city. And you're like, holy shit, we are like destroying this beautiful yeah. place, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, Sorry, I, I, I don't know if we're supposed to swear on this. No, podcast no that's fine. Not. Absolutely. Yeah, please, okay. please do. Yeah. Um, so, uh, it's good yeah, for ratings. So I feel like it's a combination of those two things, too, of like, um, you know, kind of the, <laughs> the nascent stage of capitalism that we're in where yeah, things are yeah, starting yeah. to fall apart and deteriorate mixed with the really, really beautiful parts of living in such a beautiful part of the country. That's really um, cool. Well, I'm glad that that's true, that you are acknowledge that and try to reflect it in the music. And I think it's something that not every country or state or city um, can do. Like, it's pretty, um, like, I don't want to disparage any city or state or country, but when you don't have, like, kind of a calling card, right? If you don't have that like distinct thing about where you're from, it's hard. Right. It's just a really good selling point, I think. Yeah. Uh, so. Um, yeah, it definitely helps to sell the records. There sure. you go. Yeah, I can, I can tell. <laughs> for anyone listening to this, if you could see the background right now, he is in a, Emmett is a gold-plated uh, house right now. Yeah, Everything is gold. Exactly. Um, in my just, yeah, silver-plated Sales are incredible. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, that's really cool. That's really cool. And and I, I think I was talking about this with somebody recently. Like, so Canada is obviously massive and there are lots of different right. parts to Canada. Not so much as the U.S. is diverse, but uh, we do have like different parts of Canada. But I feel like if I were to start a Canadian label and say this is Canadian folk music, to right. anybody outside of Canada, they would be like, oh, cool, how quaint. Not realizing, <laughs> and you could almost trick them into being like, this is what life is like in Canada, even right. though Canada exactly. is, is massive and there, right. you know, it's not <laughs> entirely homogenous. But I feel like right. you could almost do that too for anybody in Europe or in Japan who wants to check out a Pacific Northwest, or like a Portland label. Oh, this is so right. cool, you know. Yeah, totally. That is a cool thing. And you can kind of, you know, in a lot of ways, you can craft your own idea of what, what you know, a Northwest album would sound like or a Canadian album would yeah, sound like, yeah. whatever. Like a good example of that is, um, I don't know if you know the noise band Wolf Eyes. They're kind of like the biggest It sounds familiar. Band. Yeah, They're sounds from familiar. Detroit. Okay. Um, and they're kind of just known as putting out like, they were on sub pop, so they were kind of like the right. biggest noise right. band. Okay. I mean, it was kind of what burst that bubble in the yeah. mid aughts. Um, but recently, they've been saying they're from Detroit. Yeah. Um, and they're saying that they are, you know, outside of Detroit. They lived in many different parts of Michigan. Sure. But they say that they're Michigan folk music or Detroit uh, folk music, which I think is like a really cool way of like playing with genre of like this really fucked up and at sometimes like very extreme music is this kind of like using these quaint terms to describe that is really cool. I, I like. You know what? It's so funny because when we think of Michigan and the troubles that they've had in Flint and in Detroit, right. you know, years yeah. ago. And so when you think of struggle 
And then you think of like, no, you, you absolutely, it absolutely paints a picture. And you're like, I want to hear this music right now because it's, it's begins to tell a story. Um, Something that you can't do if you are Orlando, Florida folk music. It's like, (laughs) what? I think I know what that sounds like. I'll say, I'll wait till I'm retired to listen to that. (laughs) But so, so that is really, it is really cool. Even though it's all BS, it's really cool. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. At the end of the day, genre is just this kind of like, self mythology what's the what's the word like I'm you're not just self mythologizing your yeah. own yeah. uh your own ideas of what your music is totally um, totally yeah. um one question going back to 2020 so 2020 you used this opportunity to stay at home to be productive how did right. you sustain that i mean there is a graveyard of podcasts on apple podcasts <laughs> from the 2020 era how did right. you kind of keep going with that and growing from that point as opposed to being like back to normal forget the label yeah i think it's because i got this like fire under my Mm -hmm. butt you know it was like this this cool thing of like holy shit people are actually like listening to everything that i put out um and like i should just like keep this going if i can and i probably wouldn't have if i didn't kept getting like keep getting like more and more and more releases submitted and stuff and talking to more and more people and seeing what they were doing in my town and sure. and, and other local places. Um, so yeah, like Johnny G is a, like a Seattle connection too. So that was kind of a cool, um, I'm from Seattle originally, but okay. I'm like completely divorced for, I, I don't know a lot of what's going on up there. Sure. Um, uh, these days. Cause that, you know, with the, with the, uh, it's the city turning into like the new San Francisco, like every band that I knew back in the day has moved away at this point. Oh, okay. Um, okay. Yeah, uh, I see. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so I, I can't remember. Your well, this is like, like sustaining Sorry. that entrepreneurial seizure of, of 2020 into 2021, oh, 22, yeah. 23. Totally. Yeah. 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 So I just kind of kept it going and, and I was trying to figure out ways to kind of fit it, fit it into my actual like everyday life. Once like real life came back, it was yeah. like, okay, I, I'm lucky enough where I only work like four days a week now at my job and I can pay my rent and I'm not like dependent on the label at all for paying my rent. So I will usually just kind of like, you know, have one day where I just kind of like stamp tapes, yeah. answer some emails, yeah. upload stuff to Bandcamp, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, are, obviously it's a, it's a little more chaotic than that. It's sometimes I'm like scrambling and getting stuff ready at the last minute. Well, but, speaking uh, of chaos, do you have like a capacity, a release capacity in the back of your mind or an official? Yeah. I'm guessing the answer is I'm, no. That's something that I'm finally starting to okay. cap on. Okay. Like this summer has, has decimated me. Like I've set my, myself up for total failure. Oh my gosh. Like I've, I've been putting out a release every two weeks all oh, summer man. and I'm doing that for like another month or two or three at this point. A, so like, you know, starting in October, I'm, I'm putting a cap and I'm only doing one release per month. Good for you. And then beyond that into 2024, I'm going to try and do only one release every two months. Oh, wow. Because I really like, I really overdid it. Yeah. With yeah. this year, uh, this summer just got so so busy and like so many people having had records that were waiting to come out and sure. then people are going to move away. So they're trying to like put out a record and have a release show before they leave. And right. yeah, it's like all, all kinds of that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, it's so a I've tough time. Scrambling, yeah. Fitting it all together. But yeah. So 
the short answer is yes, I've finally started to do that, but I did not for the longest time. I just kind of like was like, oh yeah, we got an open Friday here. We'll just throw it in there. I did the same thing. <laughs> What's the consequences of that? Uh, <laughs> and I, and yeah, I, I want to yeah. ask you, consequences not to you, because our, right. our listeners don't care about you. They want to know right, the consequences exactly. to the label like, and to the releases. Right. Totally. I <laughs> no think, disrespect. I think, <laughs> I think what I've noticed is there is like a fatigue that comes along with, mm. with putting out so many releases to right. the listener. Right. You know, like I'm just putting out too much stuff for people to keep up with. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, a real good example of that that I've noticed too is my friend Aaron, um, who I put out a couple of his albums. He has like, he's one of those people that's, so prolific that he has like four or five different projects and he's always putting out a new thing like right. once a month it, it seems like right um ghost pop and balloon club are the two that i've put out uh, releases from um and he has just been going crazy on ghost pop in the last year like putting out i think he put out like nine records in 2021 and then he put out like eight records last year or something crazy like that wow. it's been an insane time for his or it was 2022, he put out nine records and he's already put out like at least six records this year. Wow. Anyway, and there is a fatigue that comes along with that. He was yeah. noticing where it's like, yeah, nobody's really listening to my records anymore because I put out way too many of yeah. them. Yeah. Um, and I think that is kind of where I'm at too. Like I've just kind of fatigued my listener at, listeners at the end of the day. They can't, they don't have, nobody has time to listen to like, you know, well, that's two it. whole records a month and figure out if they're good. That's from it. One small it's place, it's time. I, I have, you know, when you add videos to your YouTube uh, watch later, or you add right. articles that you save, I got to read this. You have books stacked up in your nightstand. Like my, yeah. my um, recently added section in iTunes, I feel the same way. It's kind of stressing me out. It's like, it's like having emails I need to respond to. Right. And, totally. it, and and every Friday, I'm like, I got to really listen to this record. And uh, <laughs> it's funny, eh? Like, it's weird. It is funny. Yeah. And I have a lot of that, too, with, like, you know, I, it, it's hard, especially with experimental music, too, because, like, even, like, my partner, who like, my life partner sure. who I live with, it's like, she doesn't want to hear, like, freaking, like, you know, noise. At, well, that's like, right. You have to find the like time Sunday, to go through that, you know? right? <laughs> Yeah, it's like I know I, I'm starting mean. to I'm starting to set like you know like headphone listening yep. times with my stereo because I've got a, a physical record that it's like I bought this a month ago and I still haven't listened yeah, to it. Yeah, you know, yeah, I'm yeah. Sit down to listen. So I totally get that. Yeah, and I'm kind of realizing that I need to give need to give people time to like listen to records and also like find them too. You know, it's yeah. like I gotta give like some records some breathing room for people to like. Uh, like, you know, discover them and, and then want to make the time to actually sit with them and listen to them, you know? Do you think um, the, do you think the artists felt like they were an old hat a week after their album came out if you're promoting another record? Right, totally. And I worry about that too. But I think that's kind of the, that's just the current state of the music industry these Agreed. days. Like, it's so crazy how quickly things yeah. move on and we're on to the next PR cycle. It's like crazy. I don't do any of that. Luckily I'm like completely out of the game when it comes yeah. to PR. Like I send the occasional free download code to sure, blogs sure. and I'll send some emails if it's like, I'm like, Oh, this blog really liked this release. So it seems like they would probably yeah. like this one. I'll like send them a free download yeah. code and, and a little like, like mini press pack or sure. whatever. Um, 
but I really don't do a lot of the like really intense PR rollout that a lot of people do. And I've noticed like just looking through, you know, my friends bands from, you know, early 2010s through the end of the 2010s, that movement out of the blogosphere has been so crazy. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, that really rigid, like three singles and then an album and there'd be premieres for everyone. Um, Now people still try to do that, but then nobody's listening to blogs or like reading blogs anymore, except for like, you know, very niche ones. There's like real cool ones like Aquarium Drunkard and and that kind of stuff that like everyone tunes into. But other than that, it's like really not, it's not the same landscape that we're looking at anymore. And I, I've kind of honestly been left in the dust in that respect. I don't really know uh, how people are doing it anymore. But yeah, having having a record have a life after it comes out is really difficult nowadays because everyone's moving on to the next thing so quickly. Well, I think one of the... I'm going to click your follow button right now. But um, I think... Uh, yes, please. I think that... <laughs> My point in that little illustration is like, I think the Bandcamp following is like one of our best tools because it's like, I don't, even if I hear about one of your releases from a blog, should I, should that happen, which is hard to do and rare, I still may not know it's from you. And, 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 And oftentimes I will get a notification on Bandcamp. And I'll be like, I don't know who this is. Why am I getting this notification? So I click through and I see in, on their label or in their, raw, in their discography, oh, I remember that record. I love them. I don't know their name. And then I check it out. So I feel like that could happen too, or that is happening with you. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of the main way that, you know, I'm selling, you know, albums these days is just through my yeah. uh, mail, you know, mail email list that I have on Bandcamp. Sure. And uh, and my Instagram, you yeah. Know? So it's it's a lot of people just kind of following what I'm doing, maybe or maybe not. Um, yeah, yeah. And it's not there's not really a lot of outside influence going on in that respect, other than a couple of really cool blogs like uh, like Very Small Flames is always really really helpful For with all sure. releases. They've Love covered them. a Love lot them. of really good stuff. Yeah. Super great um, blog that has really stood the test of time. Hundred percent. They, they cover a lot of really cool stuff. Yeah. Um, and some other ones too, like Start Track is like the new one from the course, guy who from did Philip, Yeah, yeah. Um, and and, and uh, go ahead. No, no, yeah, that that was pretty much it. There's there are still some really cool blogs who are doing real good stuff, and just wanted to shout them out because they do. I appreciate help us out that a lot from time to time. And, and I would, I and I do, and I will see like I will see that like when they cover something, more people will listen to it and that kind of stuff. So. Not to say that they, there is no uh, there's no influence well, that they hold anymore. I want to sure. just say too because I I completely agree with you and and you've mentioned some that have covered my work and and tiny albums as well and like I what I want to say about right. these people is that the move away from blogs from discovering music on blogs or reading on blogs had nothing to do in most part from the quality of the blogs or the blogs themselves. It had nothing to right. do with the fact that this is, I don't like this model, doesn't work for me. I think right. the problem was is that because of Twitter, Instagram stories, things just started happening way quicker. And so right. we didn't have time to kind of like, oh, let's check check a blog on Saturday and say, what did they write about this week? Like stuff had right. to be way, and I don't think the blogs could do the work that they do so well, which is listen right. to the record, write a great piece about the record. They can't keep totally. up, I don't think, with our yeah. appetite as and, music fans. And, yeah, and not to harp on the usual uh, just anti-streaming sentiment or sure. whatever, but like, 
But yeah, streaming had a big, big part yep. in that yep. too. Of of people have now access to pretty much, uh, you know, a majority of all recorded music. Yes. At any point, yes. And an algorithm is is always feeding them new things. Yes. Um, regardless of if they're actually new or have recently come out or yeah. not. Yeah. Um, and so to keep up with the algorithm constantly feeding you new things. And then to have the inclination to then be like, I want to look for new music elsewhere is real difficult for people that yeah. are fully in that in that like True. loop that Spotify gets you into. Um, yep, I'm I'm lucky in that like I I try to exist outside of that as much as possible um, and try to like be a not algorithm uh, controlled person sure. but i totally empathize with people where it's like that's just a super easy way to figure out and find new music all the time like it's never been easier before to do that but the problem is in my opinion is that that is a corporate influence um 100 uh you know yes uh, algorithm and requesting and like recommending things i don't want a corporation to decide what i'm listening to i want people to decide i want you know Someone who is putting out the records, someone who's listening to the records and liking them, not people who, you know, have all sorts of nefarious reasons for yeah. recommending albums I, and things. I often, it reminds me of like, when I talk about how to eat healthy, like if you want to eat healthy, it's actually right. really hard work because you go into the totally. grocery store and the flashy things and the easily accessible things, that's not the healthy stuff. And then right. to actually get a healthy meal, you have to go and buy a bunch of raw goods that don't have a label or a cartoon character on it, take them home, <laughs> and then figure out how to combine them, wait an hour, yeah. and eat them. You know what I mean? So it's exactly. I, I kind of I feel like I feel the same way in the music industry. Luckily, you know, in the music industry, because I'm in it. I am able to pause and say, okay, no, let's take a half hour, go to Bandcamp, or let's check what my friends are sharing. I follow a couple of really cool people that I think are, I respect their tastes, and they share right. old records or new records on their Instagram stories. And I'm thankful for that. I don't know where the rest right. of, I don't know what other people are doing, what passive listeners are doing, but right. I guess you can only hope that the algorithm is feeding them some cool, unique stuff, yeah. hopefully. And that's not to say that it doesn't, because, yeah. you know, it, it is actually, you know, much easier now for random kids, you know, on the internet to just kind of randomly find yes. people's records and yes. really connect with them. That like, is true. I don't want to, like, disparage that aspect of it, because that aspect is really cool. Yes. Um, And, you know, randomly, you'll just have this kid from middle of nowhere, you know, Kansas, who now is listening to, like, slow core from Canada that they really yeah, like or whatever, yeah, you know, right. some small band from Canada. That's yeah. really cool. Yeah. Um, and, and that wouldn't have happened otherwise. But also I do want to say like, like in my personal listening now, I'm super likely, like we were talking about earlier, there's lots of really cool record labels in Portland and therefore there are lots of really cool record stores in Portland oh, too. Oh, good point. Um, Little so, shout out. you know, like, yep. uh, like shouting out, especially Mississippi records who are both a record store and a record label yep. here in town. Um, Eric does like insane work. And my friend Frankie has been helping with the shop a lot recently. Um, just like they are something that completely exists outside of our current idea of what uh, um, consuming music is like. It's pretty much just you go to the record store, 
you buy their record and you bring it home and put it on your turntable and listen to it. Yeah. Uh, like, you know, yeah. you could take that record and listen to it in the record store before you decide to listen to it. Yeah. And I think now they do have a band camp, but for the longest time, they didn't even have that. Wow. Um, so, and they're super cool. And you can literally just anything that you see that has a Mississippi records, like that they put it out. You're just like, I have no idea what this is, but I'm going to buy it. Cause it's going to be cool. You That's know? amazing. Um, yeah. There's nothing like that feeling of just kind of like going into a physical place seeing a physical item that looks cool, seeing that someone you know put it out and you're just yeah. like, I'm buying this. This shit's going to be really cool. I love that. <laughs> I love getting to that point with certain labels. Yeah, totally. Like, I especially shout out this. They're, they don't usually put out new stuff. Like, they've, I, they put out the occasional new record, but they're usually putting, like, archival releases out. Yeah. Um, but this new band in Portland called Roman Norfleet and the Be Present Art Group, their local spiritual jazz group that okay. are, like, young folks doing spiritual jazz, and it is so cool. Okay. And their new record that Mississippi Records just put out is incredible. And I just bought it sight unseed and listened to it. And it just like changed my whole brain. Okay, like, I'm going to check it out my, today. Yeah, you That's definitely, awesome. if you're into spiritual jazz or any jazz or yeah, just kind of like sure. interesting music at all, it's like a, it's a, it's a must listen for sure. What do you, I'm going to let you go. What do you consider to be success? Are you successful with Bud Tapes? <laughs> That's always a really good question. Um, I think, and I've kind of adjusted my idea of success. Yeah, I think that I'm successful in that I'm still doing it, and uh, and I'm not, you know, I'm yeah. I'm just still putting out records. Some people are still listening to them. Uh, I sell the occasional tape, and I get to help. At the end of the day, success for me is just having, being able to connect people that I like their music with other people that I like their music and have them kind of exist in the same ecosystem system together. Yeah. And maybe then they build personal connections as well through that. That's like where I really feel is success. You know, like I put out a band, they come to Portland and play with an, another band who's on the label and they make a connection and are like, hey, we were both on Bud Tapes. Like that, yeah. at the end of the day, that's like my, my success for sure. Amazing. Um, and that's kind of the like, you know, I'm not doing this for money, like I said, I'm not doing this for fame. Like I'm doing it for love of the game and to like build communities. So um Amazing. Yeah. Thank you so much for doing this. It's been so great to chat with you. Of course, Scott. Yeah, yeah. Thanks so much for having me on and everything. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Want to know something cool? Today's interview was actually produced by Emma Bowers. And Emma Bowers also, this is so connected, just released a single and soon an EP with Bud Tapes. So see how small the world is? That's amazing. Make sure you go check it out. Check out Bud Tapes at budtapes.bandcamp.com. Another shout out to Hyped It, my new friends who are sponsoring this month and specifically today's episode. So click the link in below to um, check out some of the promo tools that they offer indie artists and record labels. If you're a record label, it's really uh, economical because you have all these tools like pre-saves and smart links and name captures and uh, ad advertising tools. You have all of them for all of your artists. You know what I mean? So it's like for one artist, it makes sense. But like if you're a record label that represents eight to 10 or more artists, then you have all of these tools available to you, which I think is really cool. Uh, go to otherrecordlabels.com slash hyped it. That's spelled H-Y- P-E-D-D-I-T. Thanks for listening.